So if you're against Zelensky and you think he's some stooge and toady, which he probably is, Zelensky has never had more political capital than he has now. How has this military conflict made a more neutral or friendly Ukraine? The exact opposite is occurring. So somehow Putin has managed to accomplish everything that he set out to prevent. You're listening to The Corbett Report. Welcome, friends. James Corbett here at CorbettReport.com in a conversation that is being recorded on the 5th of October 2022. And as I am recording, I note that the more wonderful, courageous, resounding words of that wonderful leader, Vladimir Putin, are still resounding in, in my ear canal because they have been forced there by erstwhile members of the independent alternative media who have been posting up Putin's annexation speech, his speech on the accession of new territories, in which he was boldly calling out the West for its historical injustices and talking about defying the colonial West in the construction of the grand new multipolar world order that is apparently going to take its place after just as soon as the Russians complete their takeover of the historical part portions of Ukraine with a bump or two along that road, the latest of which, of course, being the recent uh, withdrawal from Lyman and whatever craziness is going on there. Uh, we have Russian Defense Ministry maps suggest rapid pullbacks in Ukraine and other such things that show that maybe there might be some problems with this grand rollout of this new uh, world order that's being constructed on the Russian side. And more to the point, for this valiant crusader of freedom and uh, spreading and, and pushing back against the, the villainous, traitorous West, we have this interesting article from the Edward Slavsquat uh, substack. Russia begins vaccinating mobilized citizens, which notes that Russia's Ministry of Defense made COVID vaccination mandatory for all personnel, including conscripts, conscripts in June 2021. At the end of September, your correspondent, typed up a short telegram message wondering if this policy would also apply to the 300,000 Russians who had just been mobilized. Well, now we have the answer. And this article, which I will, of course, put in the show notes, goes on to demonstrate that, yes, indeed, the mobilized uh, uh, conscripts will definitely be force vaccinated. And if they choose to refuse that by refusing mobilization, they will, of course, face 10 years in prison. So, just like that, Russia now has some of the most extreme vac COVID vaccination mandates on the planet. Yay! <laughs> Here to break down this mess that is happening right now and the strange adherence that members of the independent alternative media have to this clearly debunked notion that Vladimir Putin is some sort of crusader for freedom in the world, uh, we are going to be joined by the author of aforesaid blog, uh, the Edward Slavsquat blog, Riley Wagaman, previous Corporate Report guest. I will encourage you to check out our previous conversation and, uh, of course, check out his blog, which will be linked in the comments, uh, in the show notes for today's conversation. But let's bring him on the program. Riley Wagaman, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so, so, thanks so much for having me back, James. It's, uh, it's always great to talk. So. Well, I appreciate the work that you're doing, um, documenting the things that I am not seeing documented in much, uh, in, in the usual corners of the alternative media sphere, increasingly with sneer quotes around alternative. So um, I've just perhaps spoiled the punchline, but tell us a little bit more in detail about this new forced vaccination for uh, uh, conscripts for the new Russian special military operation um, annexation that's going on right now. Tell us, tell us what this means. 
Well, yeah, I think it is important to start, sort of, as you mentioned, the Russian Ministry of Defense has a compulsory vaccination policy on the books that was implemented in June 2021, which is also when Russia adopted its first compulsory vaccination policy for the general population in Moscow, in which 60% of uh, employees in certain business sectors had to be vaccinated. That policy was later ratcheted up to like 80%. I mean, it's, it's a whole thing, but basically June 2021 is when Russia started uh, pushing compulsory vaccination policies, and the Russian Ministry of Defense had one of the strictest policies. It was They were going to vaccinate everyone who uh, didn't have some sort of, you know, um, health, health issue that would uh, prevent them from getting vaccinated. And you even have an from December 2021, Vladimir Putin came out, he was meeting with Shoigu, the defense minister, and he praised Shoigu for uh, the army's almost 100% vaccination rate, which I'm sorry, there's no way that that's voluntary, especially in a country like Russia. It's just, let's be honest here, these people were, the military personnel were coerced into getting this unproven genetic medical experiment. And so, as you mentioned, I, when partial mobilization was announced in late September, I just wondered to myself, well, does that mean that these partially, you know, these mobilized citizens, are they also going to be subjected to this same compulsory vaccination policy? And what we saw was in the last few weeks, several regions have come out, Rostov, Penza, and Tatarstan, confirming that they are going to be uh, vaccinating all mobilized citizens. And so these, this is, these are three regions that have confirmed that they're doing it. But I want to actually point to something that I found very recently. Last night, I was digging deeper into this. And I found a very interesting article from news.ru, which is like one of the main Russian, it's a very popular Russian news site. And the article is centered around, it was asking whether those who are not vaccinated are they still subject to mobilization, right? This idea that, well, I'm not vaccinated, so I don't, maybe I don't have to be mobilized. And so what they did is that this website, they called up this national hotline. It's like 122, and it, it will provide you with information about the mobilization regime. And according to the official federal hotline about mobilization, they said that, no, if you're not vaccinated, you'll just be vaccinated when you get here in your military units. And I'll just quote from this too. The call center added that vaccination is necessary to prevent epidemics. Therefore, it is mandatory for mobilized people to be vaccinated against coronavirus. If it is not available, vaccination will be carried out in a military unit. So there you go. And so the question now is, and this, and by, by the way, this is open to discussion and debate. And I don't have the answer to it. How, how widespread is this policy going to be? Because even during when you had uh, compulsory vaccination decrees in autumn of of 2021, it was it was implemented at the regional level. And what this basically did is it allowed the Kremlin, the federal government, to sort of pretend that it wasn't them doing it. And it also it created situations where some regions took it very seriously, others less so. But it, it's very possible that we're going to see a very similar situation now with th this mobilization, where probably some regions are going to be really gung-ho about it. Maybe others are going to look the other way. But this cannot be happening without the federal government's explicit approval. There's no way that something so sensitive and so serious could be implemented just willy-nilly, independently, 
of the federal government. That's not how it works. And in fact, we have documentation, confirmation from uh, the federal government talking about how all vaccination and COVID policies in Russia are coordinated very closely at the federal level. Like regional region regional leaders consult with the federal government and with federal authorities and then implement these policies based on this sort of consensus and consultation. So this idea that, you know, I've seen some people saying, well, maybe this is just some rogue regions in Russia doing their, there's no like, there's no decentralization in in Russia. Everything is controlled at the center, you know? So that's not a serious argument to make. This is being done most likely the same way that uh, compulsory vaccination was rolled out a year ago at the regional level where they took a few regions, three or four, Moscow, a few others, and then over a period of four to five months, the entire country adopted the exact same policies. So we'll see what happens already officially, and in fact, according to an official government portal, which is called explain.rf, they have a, they have a, an entire website dedicated to this. Will it be mandatory to vaccinate everyone who is mobilized? And they say, uh, Yes. Yeah. They say vaccination is essential to prevent occurrence of any epidemic. And according to this decree from June 2021, mandatory immunization applies to all categories of military personnel, including those called up for mobilization. So the rules on the book. Now it's just a matter of how how extensively this policy is going to be enforced. And we're already seeing regions publicly stating that mobilized citizens will be injected. All right. There are a couple of, I think, places where uh, what you're saying will get pushed back from the usual Kremlin agents in the comment section. One of which would be that, okay, even if this is coming from the Russian federal government, obviously it's from the fifth columners in there. It's not from Putin himself, who, of course, we know is against mandatory vaccination, right? He said as much, hasn't he? And then the other pushback you will get is that, don't worry, this is the good kind of clot shot. This is the wonderful Russian Sputnik V. And I know you have addressed both of these points in a great degree of detail on your blog. We will link to some of the relevant posts. But can you explain for the audience why those are not valid arguments? Yeah, um, Putin's positions on mandatory vaccination has been extremely two-faced, where he will publicly state that he's personally opposed to compulsory vaccination. And then at the same time, uh, is totally fine with every region in the country introducing compulsory vaccination. And even you have uh, his, his spokesman, Dmitry Peskov, who is supposed to be representing the president, will come out and publicly state the Kremlin supports compulsory vaccination. In fact, uh, Peskov even infamously said at one point that Russians, just like people all around the world, will have to get used to the fact that if you're not vaccinated, you're going to be discriminated against. You know, I mean, and there's so many examples of this. Putin publicly supported a a nationwide uh, digital health pass. When that was being debated at the federal level in Russia, Putin came out and said, look, I understand that people think I might not support this, but actually I do. And I think it's my responsibility to, to keep Russians safe. And I think we need this, you know, this, cat, this health digital cattle tag that, disc- that separates the unvaccinated from the vaccinated. And this, this bill was one of the most unpopular bills in Russian history, and it had to be shelved eventually because the outcry was so severe. And I, I mean, I've, I've written uh, quite extensively on this topic. I did a series called Putin and COVID. And there's one section called Putin and Compulsory Vaccination. And anyone who's interested can check it out. And you can see how it's very, 
Putin will say one thing, and then the actual policy that is adopted in Russia is the exact opposite. And it's this very, very sort of cynical and distressing situation where you're just being, we're just being gaslit, you know? Putin will say one thing, the exact opposite happens. Putin says this, but he seems to also praise the thing that he's criticizing. And it's like this. And to the second point of your question about how Sputnik V is a good clot shot, well, first of all, I'd, I'd have to ask you, how would you know? Because Russia has zero transparency, zero. It's even worse than in the United States and Europe, where they, at least they do have some sort of post-vaccination tracking system. Uh, there have been repeated attempts by uh, organizations of doctors, as well as lawmakers and other activists, to even ask for basic stuff like, what is Sputnik V made of? Can you like provide us the sort of specifics about the vaccine? Can you tell us at least how many people who have died who are fully vaccinated, whether it was linked to vaccination or not? Can you just give us these basic details? And the Russian government has repeatedly refused to provide even the most basic details about this drug. And if you go back and you look at, well, why would that might be? Well, because Sputnik V is AstraZeneca. It's an AstraZeneca knockoff. It was developed in partnership with AstraZeneca. AstraZeneca teamed up with the Russian government in July 2020. In July 2020. And now, oh, by the way, now Russia is developing two mRNA vaccines, two separate ones, the Vector Center and Gamaleya Center. Gamaleya is the creator of Sputnik V. Vector Center is uh, is run by the federal government, and they have their they have their own vaccine called EpiVac Corona, which was a total disaster. Why, if, if Sputnik V is so safe and effective, why would you want to develop an MR, mRNA vaccine? Two of them, and uh, you can go down the list. There's there are many many doctors in Russia and activists who have been speaking out for months since the very beginning of this insane global clot shot rollout, pointing to the fact that there have been serious post-vaccination complications, uh, deaths that have been linked to this drug. The Russian government shut down, tried to shut down a database, a publicly maintained database showing possible Sputnik-linked deaths or Russian vaccine-linked deaths in the country. They shut it down. Why would you do that if your drug is safe and effective? You can even look at the data where in countries that do keep track, in a country like Argentina, Sputnik V, according to the official post-vaccination data, is more dangerous than AstraZeneca, according to the Argentina statistics. They're, it's horrifying. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot more that could be said on this, but this idea that Sputnik is somehow a different, a more traditional, safe and effective vaccine is not true at all. It's based on the same experimental genetic platform that AstraZeneca is. And if it's so safe and effective, why develop an mRNA vaccine? Exactly right. And I would like to stress and underline something that we, a point that we made that I think needs to be repeated here is that this is not a, a singling out of an attack on Russia per se. It's the Russian government is singularly evil. No, the point is that it is exactly as evil as all of the other governments that have participated in this biosecurity nonsense. Um, yes, uh, uh, mobilized troops being used as pincushions. Uh, yeah, of course, the Americans and everyone else does that as well. Of course, yes. And the the fact that they, uh, the government's in bed with these super shady bio uh, pharma bi biotech 
agencies and that are also making deals to bring in vaccine passports and everything. Yes, like many, many other governments around the world. And that someone like Putin will be completely two-faced and will gaslight the public. Oh, don't worry, I'm against these mandates, secretly working to put the mandates in place behind the scenes, like every other politician around the world. This is not an attack on Russia. This is a wake-up call that Putin is not the savior that he's being portrayed in certain sectors of the erstwhile independent media. Independent of what? Um, so on that note, I know that the Edwards, uh, first of all, you, as someone who's been following your work on this, I know there is so much more to say about Sputnik V and about Putin's role in that and etc. And you have said it in the past. So once again, I will direct people to your blog and the extensive work that you've done on this in the past. Uh, but I know that the Edward Slavsquat blog was created created uh, uh, specifically for, to, to, to document the biosecurity state in Russia in the COVID era. Um, and that's, that's what you concentrate on. But obviously the geopolitical events and that are taking place right now are on the forefront of a lot of people's minds at the moment. So I'd be very curious to get your take on what some of the latest developments, because as I mentioned at the beginning, at the exact same time that we're supposed to be celebrating this annexation and bringing back of Russians into the great Russian fold of the great Russian people, we also have Russians retreating madly here and there in Ukraine and seemingly falling apart as this mobilization fiasco starts to play out, um, seemingly growing discontent amongst the Russian population for this special military operation, which totally isn't a war, guys. And if you call it a war, you're going to be in trouble. Um, All of this craziness continues to play out. I would be very interested to hear your take, especially in context of a couple of very interesting articles that uh, appeared on antiempire.com in the past couple of days, which are especially interesting in the light of, again, these alternative independent pundits who I won't even bother to name because they do not deserve any uh, credit for anything. But the very same people who have been startlingly wrong throughout the entire year about everything with relation to Russia. They're totally not going to do anything in Ukraine. And then when they do, of course, they're going to take back Ukraine. Yay, they're going to denazify. Okay, they're not going to denazify the whole country. They're going to get Donetsk and Lugansk and, you know, they're going to bring them back into the... Okay, they're going to abandon them all in this crazy thing, but it's all part of 5D chess, guys. And now I've literally seen posts by these same people in in the last couple of days going, I don't really know what's going on, but I have the feeling that they're regrouping here and this sort of thing. Whereas antiempire.com, which has been startlingly right, I think, in a lot of its takes, um, uh, has this article up recently. If Putin was a fifth column traitor, what would he be doing any differently? Which I think raises some very interesting points. Also, Putin is a serial decision-making procrastinator and Russia is paying the price. Uh, Again, some very important points being made in those articles. I'd be very interested to hear your take on some of these latest developments. Yeah, well, first I got I got to plug my friend Marco at AntiEmpire.com, who's been absolutely spot on even months before the the uh, invasion, because he was one of the few ones who said this could really be a possibility and laid it out in very level-headed, cool terms. And he's also on Substack, guys, so check him out. Yes, and actually, yeah, let me put my hand up. I was one of those people who said this is crazy. They're not going to invade Ukraine. Why would they do this? And 
They did. So honestly, yeah. I, uh, that's a point for me to go, okay, I was wrong. I was wrong about that. And why was I wrong? And what does this mean? Um, uh, unfortunately, the very same people who were saying, no, they'll, he'll never invade, were the same people who went around the next day and get, yes, it's a good thing that they invaded, which I'm not going to do. So anyway, hats off to people like Marco who saw it in advance. Absolutely. So I would say, you know, if we're looking at the current situation in Ukraine, the, what, I, what I always focus on, I find it so bizarre when people are like, well, Russia's winning in Ukraine or, or Ukraine is winning in Ukraine and blah, 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 blah. All you have to do is look at what, what were the stated goals by Vladimir Putin on the morning of February 24th when he announced that tanks were going in to Ukraine. He said that they were, the Russian military was going to demilitarize Ukraine denazify it and he also talked about the prevention of a of a permanent anti-russia forming at russia's doorstep so if we can take these statements at face value and think that putin is being sincere all you have to do is just go down there oh sorry i'm very sorry and he also of course said the protection of donbass i mean that was also another very big one so all we have to do is just go down this list ukraine has never been more militarized than it is now it has never been more militarized than now. And not only that, if this war was supposed to prevent NATO expansion or shenanigans, Sweden and, and Finland are basically in process of joining NATO. You have you Ukraine has never been more NATOized than it has ever than any point in its history. You can look at denazification. Uh, one of the big feathers in Russia's cap was that when it uh, took Mariupol, it captured several hundred Azov fighters, and these guys were labeled as sort of part of this sort of neo-Nazi punitive battalion thing going on in East Ukraine. Th there was plans by Denis Pushilin, who was the head of the Donetsk People's Republic, publicly announced in May that there would be international tribunals held in Donbass to try these Azov fighters for war crimes, and this included the head of the battalion. All of these fighters were exchanged in a prisoner exchange, in, uh, uh, which included, re in return, Russia got Viktor Medvedchuk, who is a very prominent oligarch and close friend of Vladimir Putin's. So you captured these Azov fighters who were constantly framed as these very, very dangerous um, neo-Nazis who were murdering ethnic murdering and torturing and abusing ethnic Russians or Russian speakers. And then you trade them in a prisoner exchange for an oligarch and also 50 Russian soldiers. And, you know, obviously it's, I support people going home. You know, I'm not, I'm not against prisoner exchanges per se, but if you're really serious about denazification, you just, you just gave up the best opportunity you ever had for that. And, and unfortunately, what people have to realize is that this conflict has galvanized the worst aspects, the most extreme aspects within Ukraine, the ones that you would probably that many people label as, you know, extreme right or neo-Nazi. These guys have never had it better, probably since 2016 or 17. And then, you know, things actually they were actually kicked out of power in parliament and other areas. Look at Zelensky. Zelensky had an approval rating of something like 30% in November 2021. There was a recent poll done, more than 90% approval rating. So if you're against Zelensky and you think he's some stooge and toady, which he probably is, 
Zelensky has never had more political capital than he has now. And if you want to talk about the preventing the formation of a permanent anti-Russia, how has this conflict accomplished that? You have created generational hatred, misery, and despair in Ukraine. And I, quite frankly, I'm not sure if any of us will be alive to see the end of that. And it doesn't make any sense. How has this military conflict made a more neutral or friendly Ukraine? The exact opposite is occurring. So somehow Putin has managed to accomplish everything that he set out to prevent. And, and this is not what also makes it so sad, so terrifying, is that there is no military solution here. There probably never was. In fact, I personally, I think it was clear that the Russians really thought they were going to have another Crimea moment where they could just sort of rush into Kiev. The whole government would flee. I mean, maybe Zelensky did flee for a little bit to Poland. We'll never know. But that's a theory. But they, they really thought that it would be the sort of bloodless coup d'etat sort of thing. It was a sort of like a military psyop. And it didn't work out. And now there's no military solution to this. It's just... It's just proles vaporizing each other, Slavic brothers vaporizing each other. I'm sure that NATO is like snorting lines of cocaine. They've never had it. They've never had a more, you know, they've never had it better. Russia has breathed fresh life into this dying dinosaur of a military alliance that's really just, you know, an arms extortion racket. And what, 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 it, what are average Russians and Ukrainians getting out of this? Tell me a single person in Ukraine, you know, if you want to talk about denazifying Ukraine or, or uh, bringing some, you know, bringing sanity back to Ukraine. Why didn't Russia in the first days of this conflict, you know, do raids on some of these oligarchs in Ukraine that were funding these right wing extremists like Kolomoski? Where was the, where were the Spetsnaz soldiers, you know, landing on Kolomoski's roof and putting a bag over his head? Why are just average Ukrainians and Russians killing each other? Like again, what is the what is the point of all this? And meanwhile, by the way, Russia is still is still sending uh, gas, transporting gas through Ukraine. In fact, I'm pretty sure that's still happening. There's some um, a, a financial dispute between Gazprom and Naftogaz, which is the Ukrainian company. But I'm pretty sure there's still that Russia is still paying Kiev to transport its gas across Ukraine. How can you possibly justify that from either side? How can Zelensky ask the Ukrainian to die when they're receiving money from the from the enemy, from the you know invader? And how can Russia pay the neo-Nazi, the Ukro-Nazi fascists money to transport their gas? It's that this is this is this is an upside down garbage world. It's total clown land nonsense. Just to underline what you're saying there, I'll just this is the latest from antiwar.com. British Defense Secretary says Putin is a gift to NATO. British Defense Secretary Ben Wallace said Tuesday that Russian President Vladimir Putin is a gift to NATO as the war in Ukraine has made many alliance members make plans to increase military spending. Yeah. There you mission go. Accomplished. So the, the arms extortion racket is going never been better. Exactly. But but you don't understand 5D chess, Riley. Trump has never been more powerful than he is now that he's out of power and under investigation. And Putin has never been winning harder than when he's losing in all of the stated goals that he's put for himself. You just don't get how this judo works. Right. Uh, possibly. But you know what? At this point, I don't, I don't even care. Like, I don't, I'm, I'm so fascinated by 
this um, phenomenon where people are like, oh, what will this mean for Trump? What will this mean for Putin? Like, do people are people incapable of just thinking for their own interests? And by the way, these are these are governments who I and I'm not going to blame specifically Putin or Trump. I mean, I'm talking about probably much larger uh, concentrations of power and groups. But these people have been treating you like an animal nonstop for the last two years, you know, treating you literally as someone who can be you can inject a medical experiment into and tag and gaslight and abuse. Why should I? Why, I'm sure Putin, no matter what happens, is going to be fine. He's a pretty powerful, rich guy, I'm sure. And he's lived a pretty cool life. I'm sure he'll be fine. Same with Trump. I'm pretty sure it'll be okay. You you have like, just single-handedly punched the hole through the entire stupid argument that they get people spun into, which is investing your entire identity in some what, political why? figurehead. I don't, why yeah, do I don't care about Trump. I don't care about Putin. I care about myself, my family, my, my friends, normal, real human beings trying to live their life. How does this affect them? What do, what do we get out of the fact that the greater glorification of whoever, Trump or Zelensky or Biden or Putin or any of these puppet figurehead wannabe rulers, I don't care about them. So yeah, I think that's probably the best way to put that. Um, I am going to put you on the spot with a question I always hate, but maybe you'll like it. I don't know. <laughs> What's coming next? At any rate, what are you interested in um, keeping your eye on um, as we go forward, either in terms of the special military operation or um, the, uh, the, uh, the clot shot biosecurity state in Russia or the economic situation or whatever else you've got your eye on? Well, I think mobilization and is going to be a huge one. And it's going to be very interesting to see, I mean, not just from the, you know, compulsory clot shot aspect, but many other aspects. For example, you know, in Moscow, Sergei Sobyanin, who's the mayor, this crazy technocratic mayor, he, according to Russian media reports, has been using Moscow's facial, uh, facial recognition surveillance system to identify people evading mobilization. So allegedly they, they identified five Muscovites who hadn't shown up for mobilization just using these facial recognition uh, cameras. So it's this kind of stuff that really interests me now. It's like how how are the authorities going to sort of control mobilization? What is their reaction going to be? And I have to also say that I'm very curious about what's coming up the road, sort of in economic and financial terms for Russia. I mean, the big one of the big ones that I am sort of digging into is uh, Russia is fast tracking its central bank digital currency. In fact, the real the real life operational tests begin on April first. 2023. So we could, a nice April Fool's joke for, for Russians. So, I mean, it'll be very, very interesting to see in the coming weeks and months, um, sort of the, the social and economic and political impact of uh, this conflict and mobilization. So I think there's, there's a lot of stuff, at least from, if you're looking at it from Russia's perspective, uh, coming up that I, I believe will be quite you know, I think we really are entering sort of an epoch-changing uh, situation where things can change in very dramatic ways very quickly. I think you're right about that. Uh, I think that we don't have to go on a speculative limb about that. Yeah, exactly. So I will be looking forward to seeing uh, your coverage on these topics in, in the future. As I have mentioned several times now, of course, you are at the Edward Slavsquat Substack. I hope people are following you there as I am because you have a lot of very important coverage there. And I know you also now have a podcast. 
unfortunately only a couple of episodes of which have been <laughs> dribbled out so far, so I'm going to exert whatever peer pressure I can to get you to post more frequently, but <laughs> tell us about your podcast. Well, no, I mean, I have sort of uh, this thing I just call Squatcast, where I just sort of ramble into my microphone, but I also am working with my friends um, Roloslavsky and Marco from Anti-Empire, and we're, we're going to try to get together and talk about Russia-related stuff. And we all have sort of different political views and just ways of approaching Russia, so it should be an interesting time for everyone. Well, I, uh, I, I'm interested at any rate. So, um, uh, I think that's going to do it for today's conversation, unless there's anything else you'd like to add or any parting shots you'd like to make. That's all. Thank you so much for having me on, James. It's always really fun to uh, talk. No problem. Thank you for doing what you do. All right.